This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, can the Terps roll the tide and reach the Sweet 16? Uh, No. The first two rounds of the NCAA tournament are complete. We'll look at yesterday's action. 16 teams left. Uh, Not many from the Big Ten or the Big 12. Allegedly, the two best conferences in the country. So we'll run down all that stuff. Look, yesterday's show was jam-packed with college hoops talk. Uh, Today's show won't be much different. We will talk about some other things. Uh, More lawsuits being filed against Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. We'll get into that. We'll hear from a legal analyst on that situation. And, you know, whatever else we can dig up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Essential. We're still essential workers more than a year. After this whole thing started. Oh, how I long for the day when it'll just be another work day, right? When we can all hopefully get back to work. And we'll no longer be essential or non-essential. Although I know some people are kind of loving, you know, working from home. Well, the time's coming soon enough where y'all have to, you know, get dressed again and get back out into the real world. Anyway, several ways to get involved on the show. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. First one is the show page. Second one is my personal page. Either one works. Also on Facebook, uh, our station page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Like those pages. Give them a follow. And, uh, you know, communicate. Drop me a line. Got a question, an opinion, a comment, whatever. Do it. It's right there. The rush line is open as well. I know. I checked it. It still works. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. Give us a call. Give us your thoughts on the first four days, the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. 301-759-2628. How's your bracket looking? If it looks like mine, uh, you've already thrown it away. My bracket is absolutely miserable. It's just off. I think, what's, let me check here. Hold on one second. Wait a minute. I'm fairly certain. One, yeah, I have six. <laughs> I have six of the Sweet 16 right. Six. That's awful. That's terrible. Anyway. Hopefully, your bracket's doing better than mine. Also, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. 
Go back and listen to uh, whatever you want, whenever you want. All right, let's kick off today's show. As we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with college basketball, where Maryland was trying to pull off the upset and make it to the Sweet 16. Shackleford three, missed it from the wing, but a putback one-handed jam by Juwan Gary. It is all smiles on that Alabama bench. It's like they're having a party over there. The call on the Westwood One NCAA Network, it was a party for second-seeded Alabama as they rolled to a 96-77 win over the 10th-seeded Terps, ending Maryland season in the second round of the tournament. Aaron Wiggins had a career-high 27 points for the Terps, who end their season at 17-14. and Much more on this game coming up here in just a bit. In boys' high school basketball, Hampshire lost at Musselman at 65-41. Carter Smith had 12 points for the Trojans. Elsewhere, Harmon was a one-point winner over Union 50-49. On the girls' side, Kaiser was a 59-29 winner over Bishop Walsh. That game at B-Dub. It was Preston over Liberty Harrison 65-20. Tucker County had little trouble with East Hardy 73-19. Now, the uh, Hampshire home game against Hedgesville and the Moorfield home game against Berkeley Springs, those games were postponed. In high school soccer, Jordan Chaney scored a late goal to lift the Allegheny girls over Fort Hill 1-0, and Eli Wallace's goal 57 seconds into sudden death overtime gave Allegheny the sweep of Fort Hill also by a count of 1-0, as they say. Uh, in soccer, on the pitch. In spring training action, Kevin Newman had three hits and scored three runs. As the Pirates beat the Orioles 6-5, Eric Gonzalez had two hits and drove in two runs for the Bucks. Freddie Galvis doubled, singled, and drove in two for the Oreos. The Nationals were off yesterday. Uh, they returned to action today at the Cardinals. The Pirates are hosting the Twins in Bradenton, and the O's are hosting the Rays. All those games start at 105, and tonight in the NBA, the Wizards are on the road to take on the Knicks at the world-famous MSG. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so we knew it was going to be a tall task anyway. Even for a Maryland team, as good defensively as it was this season, trying to find some way to keep Alabama's offense in check and some way find a way to score enough points to keep it close and have a chance to win at the end. And the offense wasn't that bad, actually. It just couldn't keep up the pace. And the defense definitely couldn't keep up. As Alabama... Nearly put up a hundo, 96 points to advance to the Sweet 16. And when you look at the numbers on the surface, each team shot 53% from the floor. Actually, Maryland shot just a little bit better at 53.3%. Bama was 53 even. Maryland was 32 of 60 from the floor. Bama was 35 of 66. Big difference, as you would expect, when you're playing against Alabama 
The big difference came from beyond the arc. Crimson Tide shot the third most three-pointers in the country this season. Last night, no different. They made 16 of 33. That's a 48.5% clip. Terps made 10 of 27. So six more made threes for Bama than Maryland. The 16 three-pointers were the most Maryland had given up all season long. Here's Maryland head coach Mark Turgeon. Well, it's not the way we wanted to go out, obviously. Um, we got we started well. Uh, I think we were up 12-4, to four and, um, you know, the game got away from us. But I, I just think Alabama was terrific. Quinterly was off the charts. I mean, he was controlled the whole game. We couldn't keep him in front of us. Um, he had nine assists at halftime. I'm not sure what he ended up with. I think they made 16 threes. They they shot the heck out of it. They haven't been shooting it that well lately, but they shot it well today. And we're a good defensive team, but we were just a step slow all night. We never could get caught up uh, with their offense. So our offense was good enough at times uh, for us. It just We just couldn't guard them. But give them credit. There's a reason they won the league and won the conference tournament. They're a heck of a team. I said before the game they were the fifth number one seed in my mind, and they played like it tonight. They were terrific. And that's a great point by Turgeon. Because Alabama could have easily been a number one seed in this year's tournament. Regular season, SEC champ, SEC tournament champ. They've been good all season long. They could have easily been the number one seed in the East region over Michigan. I don't think anybody would have had a problem with that. And they were just on last night. They were just on. And when you shoot as many threes as that team does, and they're on, <laughs> you're dead. Now, the Terps, for a, a big portion of this season, they kind of made a living at the free throw line, right? Last night, not the case. The teams combined for just 17 foul shots. That's it. And Bama was a perfect 10 for 10 <laughs> from the line. And Maryland was absolutely killed on the glass. They got out rebounded 40 to 19. Let me repeat that. 40 to 19. 21 board difference right there. That's not going to get it done. When you only make seven trips to the foul line and you get out rebounded by 21, that's not that's a recipe for disaster, right? And look, you know, Terps got off to a good start. They jumped out to a, I think what, 11 11-5 lead. But then Turgeon made this three-man swap. He brought in uh, Galen Smith, Jarris Hamilton, and Reese Mona. He subbed with, I don't don't even think five minutes were gone in the game yet. And he made his three-man swap. And after that, Alabama went on a 20-8 run. And then they never trailed again. Now, if you want to make a direct connection to that substitution, all right, maybe. If he hadn't subbed, they still may have gone on the 28th run. Who knows? Maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe it wasn't. But that 20-8 run after the subs were made, really, no pun intended here, turned the tide. Bama led by as many as 11 in the first half. Terps got it down to 8 at the half. But you kind of felt at that time the pace was just way too fast. For Maryland. Halftime score was 
Terps only give up 69 a game. <laughs> Bama already had 46 at the break, which tied, by the way, for the most points they had given up all season after the first 20 minutes. And Bama, I don't even know if it's a matter of Maryland's defense not performing the way it normally does. Alabama just shot the lights out in the first half. Sometimes teams are just on. 51.5% from the floor in the first half on 17 of 33 shooting. 8 of 17 from a three-point range. 47.1%. And they, you know, they kept on gunning in the second half too. Back, to, you know, back to back threes. Uh, John Petty Jr. hit back to back, made it fifty nine forty two. That was part of a fourteen zero run that made it sixty five forty two. And the game was, you know, pretty much over after that. It was turn out the lights, party's over. In last night's game, a far cry from Alabama's tournament opener because you heard uh, Coach Turgeon say in that first clip I played that they hadn't been shooting the ball that well lately. And they only scored a total of 68 points against the 15-seed Iona. So last night's performance, a far cry from round one. Here's uh, Bama head coach Nate Oates. I just told him after the uh, first game, you know, let's just lose ourselves in the game, lose ourselves in the blue-collar stuff and the defensive stuff. I uh, I reached out to uh, Coach Patino. After the Iona game, I actually talked to him this afternoon. I wanted to get his thoughts on us. He told me the same thing. He said every uh, Louisville, Kentucky team he had, the the hardest game was the first one. You know, he just told his guys they got enough talent that it's going to come. You know, come just focus on defense. I had been what I'd been telling our guys, but I, I told them. Coach Patino said the same thing. I mean, shoot, it's a Hall of Fame coach, won a couple national championships. I think he knows what he's doing. So I guess uh, the bad news for Maryland is that they had to face Alabama in the second game, not the first. <laughs> if the first game's the toughest, would have served the Terps well to have them in the first round, not the second round. But, you know, all in all, I would say, and, and nobody wants to hear this the day after their team loses, so Terps fans, I apologize. But I would say it was a pretty successful year uh, for the Terps. When you consider who they lost from last year's team, Anthony Cowan Jr. and Jalen Smith, which pretty much made this season a rebuild, and not just a rebuild, but one during a pandemic. You know, they got off to a 4-0 start. Then they lost six of their next eight games. And you, you thought maybe at that point the wheels would have come off. But then they snapped a three-game losing streak, that big win at Illinois. They later had a home win against Purdue. They won at Minnesota during that time when Minnesota was playing well. They won at Rutgers. They knocked off Michigan State. And they finished 6-3 and three down the stretch and really played their way into the tournament. And, look, they even managed to win a game. They beat UConn in the first round. And uh, head coach Turgeon said he was proud of his team after, after last night's game and what the team had accomplished this season. Well, Charles Barkley will say it. You are who you are, and you are what your record is. And um, we are who we are. You know, we certain teams we could match up with and really guard and figure out how to win games, and certain teams that were elite, 
um, like Alabama was tonight, was tough for us. So, yeah, we we couldn't sub. I subbed that first half, and the game got away from us, and, and the guys got tired. We had a couple guys didn't play up to their potential tonight, which is disappointing. But, um, yeah, I mean, we we are who we are. I mean, we've talked about it all year, Lila. And um, so uh, – but doesn't take away how proud I am of this group and what we've accomplished this year and the fight we had. And we could have quit many times. We could have went a lot of different directions but we just we, we stayed the right direction and we were able to get here and win an NCAA tournament game when we were picked 12th and looked like our season was over in you know late January uh, early February and we just to get here and be a part of this game says a lot about the young men in the locker room one that we never had a positive COVID test one that we showed up for every game to play um, that our coaches never had a COVID problem um, we sacrificed a lot so you know they're going to look at the record and say uh, man, we were 24 and seven. They took it and this team was 17 and 14, but I think this team's going to remember for just unbelievable grit, unbelievable fight, unbelievable sacrifice. You know, we had Hakeem Hart move to point guard just because we had to. All right. We had Dante move the center because we had to. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of guys sacrifice. We get, coaches, players, managers, you know, so many people sacrificed for this to happen. So I, I'm proud of every team, but this one will, this takes it to another level for me. I always remember this team for what they went through and how hard we fought and we could have quit easily and never did. And we're able to play in this game. Didn't play well, but we were able to be in a final 32 game, a chance to play for a sweet 16 when it was a rebuilding year. So I know I answered more than your question, but I had to get that out. All right. So first off, before we wrap this up, I cannot wait for the day when we can actually have press conferences in person so we can get away from this Zoom stuff and these guys will stop sounding like, you know, a dial-up modem. You know what I mean? Every once in a while you get that metallic metallic tinge in there and they sound robotic. Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait for it to go away. Anyway. Uh, now, because of the pandemic and the NCAA's one-year extension on eligibility, everybody has the opportunity to come back for one more season, including senior Daryl Morsell. They get Eric Ayala back. Aaron Wiggins comes back. and He had a great game last night, career-high 27. So I think definitely some building blocks were put in place for Maryland moving forward. I think the future is rather bright, and they can build off of this season. Again, particularly the way it started. You had that law in the middle, and you heard a coach say, you know, they, they did the right things, no positive COVID test. It's a tough season for everybody, tough season for everybody. And they navigated it, they went through it, and hey, they made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Not too bad for a team in a quote-unquote rebuild. So I think good things on the horizon for the Terps. Now, at the time of Maryland's game last night, the Terps were one of only two Big Ten teams left in the field thanks to what happened earlier in the day. And we'll get to all that next when we come back. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
This is the Morning Rush. If you are a Terps fan, how would you rank this season uh, for Maryland? Give us a call, 301-759-2628. You think it was a successful season? Do you think, did you expect more? Did you expect less? Did they get further than you thought they would? Or was it just about right? Give us a call, 301-759-2628. Now, I said before the break that at the time of Maryland's game last night, the Terps were one of only two Big Ten teams left, thanks to what happened earlier. The day got started with Oregon absolutely ripping the two-seed in the West region, Iowa. 95 to 80. And I had Iowa getting to the final four out of the West. So my bracket just continues to stink out loud. The Ducks, they get to the uh, Sweet 16 for the fifth time in the last eight tournaments. The 95 points were the most they have ever scored in an NCAA tournament game. Now, look, Oregon did have, in my opinion, An advantage because they didn't even have to play a first round game because VCU had to forfeit or forfeit due to COVID protocols. So the Ducks, not only were they able to get a jump on preparing for Iowa because you had to assume that they would have, you know, Iowa was going to advance, but they were also more rested. Not having to play two games in three days like Iowa did, I think, worked in Oregon's favor. It it had to. Now, look, not saying that Oregon still wouldn't have won yesterday had they played and beaten VCU, but it certainly didn't hurt that they were allowed to move on without playing in the first round. Luca Garza, he had a great game in his Iowa swan song. Uh, He tied a team tournament record with 36 points. But his great Hawkeye career comes to an end. He'll have his number 55 retired after the season at Iowa. But, believe it or not, he never played in the Sweet 16. He was never able to get Iowa past the second round of the NCAA tournament. So with Iowa bounced early, that left Michigan and Maryland to carry the Big Ten torch. Michigan, the top seed in the East region, got by eighth-seeded LSU 86-78 to advance to the Sweet 16. And then, of course, Maryland lost. Which meant Michigan is the only Big Ten team left in the tournament. After getting nine Nine teams in the field of 68, the Big Ten, which I, like many others, call the best conference in the country, after getting two number one seeds with Michigan and Illinois, after getting two number two seeds with Iowa and Ohio State, the Big Ten has one team left in the tournament. What? The heck happened? 
Here's Jay Billis. There's no excusing some of the performances that we saw. I mean, I, I think Iowa losing to Oregon. You know, Oregon's healthy now. They got Will Richardson back. They're legit. And look, Loyola's a really good team, but I, I don't care whether they're underseated, underseated or not. Illinois was a one. They should win that game, whether it's played in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or in the second round. There's not a lot of excuse, I think, for Ohio State and Purdue losing to the teams they lost to the way they lost. And they played poorly. Their opponents played well. But all of the mid-major double-digit seeds that won got beat by double digits in the next game. The only one that won another game was Oral Roberts. So I, I think the Big Ten has a little bit of explaining to do. I don't think it invalidates the fact that it was the best league. Like, we can't look at the analytics and say, the analytics say that Loyola was underseeded and then turn around and throw them out the window when it comes sure. to the Big Ten. And then there's the Big 12, which a lot of people thought, including myself, was the second best conference in the country. They put seven teams in the big dance, but as play started yesterday, only had three teams left in the field. And that was quickly cut down to two. The dream run continues. The Gonzaga Bulldogs stay undefeated and go to the Sweet 16 for the sixth straight year. The Zags beat Oklahoma 87-71. 28-0. The number one overall seed continues its perfect run. And boy, they looked nearly perfect today. Who's going to beat this Gonzaga team? Is anybody going to beat this Gonzaga team? Or will they become the first in 45 years? To run the table from start to finish and be an undefeated national champ. The call right there on the Westwood One NCAA Network. Top overall seed Gonzaga rolled Oklahoma 87-71. Drew Timmy, Timmy, went off for the Zags 30 points and 13 rebounds. Zags have now won 32 straight games dating back to last season. And you heard the man answer the question, not answer it, he asked the question uh, during that clip. Who's going to beat this Gonzaga team? And it's not only a question of who, but how. Here's ESPN's Sean Farnham. If you're going to beat them, you have to be able to score the basketball. There are teams ahead of them here that can score it. But you have to be able to score it without turning it over. And you have to have something defensively that can try to disrupt and take Gonzaga out of its rhythm. And that's really hard to do because so much of what they do is not predicated upon sets. It's more based on floor spacing and allowing people to cut and move. And when they need a bucket, you can go to Drew Timmy. Uh, Corey Kispert was the conference player of the year, but when they need points, they go to number two. And he settles everything down, and then they space the floor back off of him, and he can facilitate it even passing the ball. It's not just his scoring. But they have so many weapons, Scott, uh, that it, it makes it a very difficult task. And I thought Oklahoma's game plan was really good today with Austin Reeves getting that center on-ball screen. That's something that we've seen from Randy Bennett teams over the years from St. Mary's when they had Matthew Delavadova and Jordan Ford and Patty Mills, and they found success against Gonzaga. They used that middle third of the of the court and got their guards coming downhill. But even that wasn't good enough today uh, to knock them off and derail this train. So the Zags eliminate yet another Big 12 team, and they move on to the Sweet 16 where they will face the five-seed Creighton. The Blue Jays cruise by 13th-seeded Ohio 
72 to 58. Now, in the bottom half of the West region, already told you one Pac-12 team advanced, Oregon. And so who will they play in the Sweet 16? How about another Pac-12 team that advanced at the expense of, you guessed it, the Big 12? They will run the clock. That will do it. USC lost its top five scorers from last year, reloads, and is going to the Sweet 16. 85-51, the Trojans douse Kansas to go to the Sweet 16. The call again on the Westwood One NCAA Network, the sixth seed USC (laughs) absolutely mud-stomped Kansas by 34 points. It was the third worst loss in Kansas program history. It's worst loss since 1974 and by far their worst loss ever in the NCAA tournament. 34 points as a three seed. And, oh, by the way, their loss to USC was their fourth straight loss to a Pac-12 team in the NCAA tournament. After the game, Kansas head coach Bill Self. They were obviously more prepared. Uh, They played better, uh, coached better. We shot it miserably. Uh, And it's going to be hard to score for us over that length regardless. And they, they shot it unbelievably well, even early in the game. In the first, you know, 10 possessions or whatever, we had some looks, didn't make any, and they made some, and we played from the from a hole the entire time. But uh, that's about as poor as, as we can play, and I'm sure Andy would say that's, you know, certainly one of their better moments, uh, better games. So uh, it was a bad combination all the way around for us. So with Oklahoma and Kansas both getting run yesterday, that leaves Baylor the top seed in the South as the only Big 12 team left in the tournament out of the seven that made it. So, doing the math, the Big 10 and the Big 12 had a combined 16 bids in this year's tournament and only two are moving on to the second round or second weekend, excuse me, second weekend. Two of the 16. That is truly stunning. What's also stunning is the Pac-12. And I must again issue an apology. That's coming up next. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Round number two in the books. We are down now to the uh, Sweet 16 after yesterday's action and we were talking right before the break (laughs) the big 10 and the big 12 16 bids to this year's tournament and only two baylor and michigan are left out of the 16 that to me that's stunning it's incredible Now, obviously, some teams have to fall by the wayside. Not everybody can get to the Sweet 16. But you would have thought, especially the Big Ten, with two number one seeds and two number twos, that they would have gotten more than one team to the second weekend, right? 
And then looking at some of the ways, you look at Kansas in the Big 12. It just got rolled by USC last night by 34. I know Kansas had the COVID issues and they couldn't finish the Big 12 tournament. And so I get that. I get it. But my goodness. And look, I must again issue an apology to the Pac 12, which I thought was the weakest power conference in the country. I called them soft. And maybe it's because it's out West and we're not exposed to West Coast hoops as much as we would like to be. And a lot of those games are played late, and I'm normally in bed early. And maybe it's just a lack of exposure. I'm not quite sure. But the Pac-12 is making some noise. Now you got Oregon State. The conference tournament champ had to win the conference tournament just to get in to the big dance. And they're in this week 16 as a 12 seed. You got Oregon and USC playing each other in one West Region semifinal, which said one of those teams guaranteed to make it to the Elite Eight out of the Pac 12. Let's go back to ESPN, Sean Farnham. I actually had USC in my bracket making it all the way to the Elite Eight, and that's one. That's the only thing I can say good about my bracket uh, after the first weekend. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that there's there's two things to look at with these two teams. Is one is Dana Altman always gets this this grouping of transfers and new faces, and then he molds them together. So many COVID pauses throughout the course of the year. I thought kind of derailed their progress and took them off the line in order of the steps that we've seen in the past to become an elite level team. But as we've seen in this NCAA tournament, you're talking about Chris Duarte. This is a guy that was Associated Press second team All-America. It is not, this team is not devoid without top shelf talent that goes along with Dana Altman's coaching, which is as elite as, elite as it comes in the college game. And then you look at the counterpoint, and we just saw USC, their length is really hard to, to prepare for. They, unless you've seen it, there's no way for you to simulate it at your practices. And so I think that gives also with the Mobleys and the talent that they have, that gives Andy Enfeld's team a great advantage. Now, the ironic thing between these two teams is they have played each other. They are familiar with one another. Uh, Oregon did not play well at USC at all. It was 17-1 to 1 to start that game. I, I do not anticipate that that's what we will see in the Sweet 16. USC lost its top five scorers from last season. Five. And now they're in the Sweet 16, taking on Oregon. However, in the immortal words of Billy Mays, but wait, there's more. Final couple tick off. That'll do it. And UCLA, who got into the dance by the skin of their teeth after losing four straight, has now won three games in six days to march on to the program's 21st Sweet 16 appearance. Can't forget about UCLA. That call again on the Westwood One NCAA Network. 11th seeded Bruins. Also moving on to the Sweet 16 after hammering Abilene Christian 67-47. So that puts four Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16. Twice as many as the Big 10 and Big 12 combined. Jay Billis, 
What's up with the Pac-12 all of a sudden? UCLA has been pretty good all year, and they lost Chris Smith to injury, overcame that. They didn't play well at the end of the year, but part of that was they had to go up to Oregon at the end uh, to, as a makeup game. Uh, so that certainly didn't help them. Uh, Oregon is now healthy. They were not healthy earlier in the year. They didn't have Will Richardson. If Will Richardson had been playing the lefty, if he'd been playing the whole year, he would have been first team all Pac-12. Uh, he's that good. And to have that team healthy now, able to press, uh, switch defenses, they're, they're really talented. And then USC covers up the rim. I mean, they're, defensively, they're a joke. They are so difficult to score upon. And, and to have Evan Mobley as player of the year in the Pac-12 and then defensive player of the year, the last guy to do that in a major conference, the only guy to do that, it was Anthony Davis at Kentucky in 2012. The, the surprise, obviously, was, uh, was Oregon State. You know, they've been on a roll. They're, they're good. I don't think anybody expected this, and I don't no. think they expected this. No. But they've been on a roll, and they're playing really well. And, and it's got to be fun for them to be on this kind of roll. It's, and they're in one place. Like, usually, team goes back to campus. You don't know if they're going to stay on that roll when they go home, and then they got to go to another site. Now they're staying in one place. You know, maybe it's easier to keep momentum there. So UCLA, uh, they're going to play Alabama in one East region semifinal. In the other one, Michigan is going to take on Florida State, the fourth-seeded Seminoles, uh, the only team to beat a Pac-12 team so far this tournament, uh, beating fifth-seeded Colorado, uh, 71-53. So, again, we're going to have guaranteed, unless, and you hate to even bring it up, unless both teams are, you know, hit by COVID protocols, you're guaranteed to have either USC or Oregon in the Elite Eight. I don't think UCLA is going to be Alabama. Oregon State sitting there taking on Loyola Chicago. One of those two are guaranteed for the Elite Eight. So we could see two Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. Now, if I'm making an early prediction, we're only going to see one. I think Oregon State runs comes to an end against Loyola Chicago, and as I just said, UCLA is not going to beat Alabama. But I I think USC, if I had to guess right now, the Oregon looked really good yesterday. I mean, they rolled Iowa. You know how hard it is to put 95 points up on Iowa? But we'll have one, guaranteed one. I still can't get over I'm looking at my bracket right now. What a mess this is. An absolute mess. <laughs> I did have USC getting to the Sweet 16. I will say that. So that's like the one the one feather in my cap is I did have USC getting there and have I had them losing to Iowa in the Sweet 16. So that's, as I said earlier in the show, I had Iowa going to the Final Four. So much for that. I only have two. Of my final four teams alive, Baylor and Alabama, Iowa and Illinois, two Big Ten teams, both gone. And I had Illinois winning the whole thing, so my bracket was dead after the first couple days. And as I said earlier, I got six. I got six of the Sweet 16 correct. Gonzaga, USC, Michigan, Alabama, Baylor, and Arkansas. I got the entire Midwest region wrong. I didn't get a I didn't get a single 
Sweet 16 team correct in the Midwest. Because I had Illinois and Oklahoma State, and I had West Virginia and Rutgers, and they are all gone. Just like my bracket. So there you go. As we said yesterday, they don't call it March Madness for nothing. It is so daggone difficult, darn near impossible, to have any kind of continued, sustained success picking the brackets. All right. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two around the corner doing push-ups. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. Cumberland, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Hey, uh, before I forget, if you happen to see uh, Frankfurt head basketball coach Scott Slatter today, wish him a happy birthday. Now, uh, I would make fun of him for turning the big 5-0 today, uh, but I'll be doing the same thing seven days from now, so I think it's best <laughs> best I keep my mouth shut. But uh, Coach Slatter, the big 5-0, the big fitty. Today, so happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Coach Slider. Happy birthday to you. And uh, happy birthday to anybody else uh, celebrating a birthday today. Hopefully you're not as old as uh, we are. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, also, before I forget. Now, look, I don't like to. I'm not one of those people who brag a whole lot about my kid. Okay, Um, very proud of my son. He's accomplished a lot. But I don't, you know, I I brag on him close, you know, my close circle. I usually don't come out, you know, publicly and brag on my kid. But all all I'll say is this, all right? If you happen to be at a store today over in West Virginia or the surrounding area, if you happen to look on the front page of the Mineral Daily News Tribune, there's a picture of a kid on the front page with a Frankfurt principal or a Mr. Poncion. Uh, that's my son. Uh, nice write-up, very nice write-up from Chapin Jewel. Chapin Jewel does an excellent, tremendous job of highlighting uh, students and children in Mineral County and surrounding areas. And uh, my son just happens to be the subject of a story today. Chapin wrote, great job. Chapin, always appreciate what he does, as well as the folks at the Mineral Daily. So, just saying. It's not very often that you can say that your child makes the front page of a newspaper. And mine did. So, I'm just, just that's a little brag right there on my boy. Because, because I wanted to. So, there you go. So, we're talking NCAA tournament last hour. And the Sweet 16 is set. In the South region, you got the number one seed, Baylor, taking on the five seed, Villanova. In the bottom half of that region, you have the three seed, Arkansas, taking on the Cinderella of the tournament, the 15 seed, Oral Roberts. So again, one of those two teams, we're going to have Arkansas or Oral Roberts in the Elite Eight. On the bottom side the bottom half of the right side of the bracket in the Midwest. And I told you last hour, I got zero teams right in the Sweet 16. 
in the Midwest. You have Loyola Chicago taking on Oregon State in 8 versus 12. Then you have Syracuse, the 11 seed, taking on the number 2 seed, Houston. On the left side of the page, up top in the West region, Gonzaga taking on Creighton. That's a 1 versus 5. Then you have a 6 versus 7, a Pac-12 matchup, USC and Oregon. And in the East region, number 1, Michigan against the 4 seed, Florida State. And then you have an 11-2 matchup, UCLA, against Alabama. Now, if you want to know, if you want to get an idea of just how gonzo this tournament has been, there's one measure that you can look at. Now, it's not you know exact science, but it's you know something. It's interesting. The seed numbers, okay, one seed, two seed, three seed, on and on. The seed numbers of the 16 teams left in the tournament add up to 94. That's the highest total since the NCAA tournament expanded way back in 1985. Their previous record was 89, which was set a year after the expansion in 1986. And you look at the teams that I just mentioned. You have Oral Roberts, a 15. You have Oregon State, a 12. We have two 11 seeds in the Sweet 16, Syracuse and UCLA. And then Loyola Chicago, an 8 seed. Now, we do have still three number one seeds alive, Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor. But when you add up the Sweet 16 seeds, It totals 94, which is the most ever. That's how chaotic the first two rounds were and how unpredictable the first two rounds were. As I said, the previous record was 89, which is set back in 1986 in just the second year of the expanded 64-year, or 64-year, 64-team tournament. That year, the Sweet 16 included 8th-seeded Auburn, 11th-seeded LSU, a 12-seed DePaul, a 14-seed Cleveland State. If I'm not mistaken, there was a player on that Cleveland State team by the name of Mouse McFadden. If I'm not, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, the Vikings had Mouse McFadden, a 14-seed, And then, back then, LSU became the first 11 seed to reach a Final Four in 1986. Then there was a 7 seed Navy, led by the Admiral David Robinson. They made it all the way to the regional final. So that just gives you an idea of how hard it's been to pick these teams. I'm just trying to find an excuse why I pick so poorly. That's all. I can't be the only one, right? There's no way. I can't be the only one that has only six teams left in the Sweet 16. Because I know Loyola Chicago torpedoed a lot of brackets like mine when they knocked off Illinois. A lot of people had Illinois winning the whole thing. Speaking of which, as we switch uh, gears to a more uh, serious note, 
and a disturbing and disgusting note at that. Illinois big man uh, Kofi Coburn, okay? He is now the second player this tournament who has faced racist comments on social media following a loss in the big dance. Uh, Coburn shared uh, on Instagram a racist social media post directed at him after Illinois lost to Loyola Chicago on uh, Sunday, a couple days ago. And Coburn, who uh, he was born in Jamaica, in case you didn't know that, and he later moved to New York, posted a screenshot of this post and responded by writing, quote, unquote, I blame his parents. And Illinois, uh, a spokesperson for Illinois told ESPN's Adam Rittenberg that the school is looking into the situation. They've already talked with Coburn. And they're trying to, you know, get to the bottom of this racist comment. And the spokesperson said that the source of the comment was already identified by other people on social media. And this happened a day after a player from Ohio State, E.J. Liddell, received death threats and insults on social media after Ohio State lost to Oral Roberts. And Liddell, he missed a free throw late in that game that could have given Ohio State the win and said they went to overtime and they lost. And Liddell posted images of the messages. And this is this is really disgusting stuff. One person actually posted, I hope you die. I really do. Other messages included racist insults. And Liddell posted on Twitter, he says, honestly, what did I do to deserve this? I'm human. In Ohio State, they've contacted police about the language that was directed at this this young man. And these are just two more examples of why social media is the biggest cesspool in the history of this country. One of the biggest, anyway. Because people are allowed, they have been afforded the opportunity to be this hateful and this disrespectful behind the curtain of anonymity, right? And one of my, I use this a lot. As a matter of fact, I used this on Twitter not too long ago when somebody posted something about the Ohio State situation. And every day this this is proven to be true. And I posted a lot, I use it a lot. Social media has made too many of you comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the mouth for it. That's what social media has turned our society into. It allows people to be just the absolute worst that we can be and get away with it. Because what are you going to do? Sites like Twitter, they don't force you to use your real name or a real picture or real information. Something that they failed at forever now. A lot of this stuff would go away if they just forced you to put a name to it. Because trust me, if you had to put a name to it and you had to put a face to it, those people who are threatening E.J. Liddell 
and Kofi Coburn, they wouldn't be doing it. They would not be doing it. Because the people who hide behind their keyboards, probably in their parents' basement, probably without a job, probably living off their parents, they can hide and put out this disgusting stuff with no retribution, with no consequence. Because they're allowed to. Because they're simply allowed to. Knowing full well, if they were face-to-face with either one of those two young men, they wouldn't say a word. They wouldn't say a word. But they're allowed to hide behind anonymity. They can show their true colors behind a fake picture, a fake name, because that's what social media allows you to do. Now, see, I won't hide behind anonymity. You know who I am. I can sit behind this microphone right now and tell anybody listening, either live or on the podcast, if you're a person who jumps on social media and issues death threats to a college basketball player, if you hurl racist insults at a young man or young woman playing college sports because your team lost, you are the worst kind of miserable loser on the face of the planet. And I'll tell you that straight to your face. I won't hide behind a keyboard. If you go on social media and you're hateful and disrespectful and you hide in your basement, you're a moron. You're an absolute waste of space. And again, I'm telling you to your face right now. It's disgusting. It's deplorable. And you need to do us all a favor and just stay out of the light, okay? Stay out of the light. Just stay huddled in your basement forever. Because I don't have any use for people like that. None. None of us do. If you've ever attacked a player online, you coward, you spineless cowards, just stay out of the light, man. Just stay out. Just stay under your rock because that's where you belong. See, because back in my day, and here we go, I know, back in my day, if you had something to say to somebody, you had to say it to their face. If you had something to say to someone, you had no choice but to say it right to their face and then suffer the consequences. Or... You could have been a coward and just set it behind somebody's back. Problem with that was, if that word got back to that person, you got beat down twice as bad. (laughs) Back in my day, we settled our differences a little bit differently than we do today. We didn't hide in our basement. We didn't hide behind a keyboard. We didn't hide behind social media. We didn't hide behind anonymity. You had something to say to somebody, you said it, and then you worked things out. The hard way. 
But social media, for as good as it can be in some situations, I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm not saying all people on social media are bad. I'm not saying that at all. But for as good as it can be, sometimes it's it's 10 times worse. Because these companies allow you to get away with it. Sites like Twitter, I don't know, Instagram, I don't know what their login process is like. They they don't hold anybody accountable. They are partly responsible. Because I'm telling you right now, as sure as I'm sitting here in the big chair, if these utter and total losers who posted stuff to EJ Liddell saying that they, he hoped he died because he missed a foul shot. And, and, and the total coward that issued a racist comment towards Kofi Coburn, I guarantee you, if they had to put a name and a face to it, there's nothing. There's nothing. Because they wouldn't have the stones to do that. But because they can hide behind it, and then they have free range to do whatever they want. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. And we see these acts of of cowardice every single day. If you do it, you're a coward. It's, It's plain and simple. If you go after somebody online, on social media, if you bully somebody online, If you call them names, if you issue death threats, you're a coward. You're a loser coward. Plain and simple. I'll say it to your face. Because that's how we used to handle things back in my day. And I hope whoever these people were, whoever these losers were, I hope they get caught. And don't even even punish them. Don't even, like, I don't know, arrest them. Put them in the same room with Kofi Coburn and EJ Liddell for 15 minutes and see what happens. See what happens. And I guarantee they'll never do it again. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I shouldn't be laughing at this as hard as I am. Look, I just got done. Uh, just got done uh, calling social media one of the biggest cesspools this country has ever created because of just the sheer nastiness and hate that you see on there on a daily basis. But then, as I am perusing uh, Twitter during the break, I see a story. There is... So I don't know how real this is. The picture looks real. Allegedly, somebody found, there's a picture. Uh, Jensen Karp is, is a guy on Twitter. Apparently, he's an author. He has almost like 70,000 uh, followers. And he he posts a picture, and he goes, um, and he adds uh, cinnamon Toast Crunch. 
Why are there shrimp tails in my cereal? <laughs> he posts a picture which looks to be shrimp tails in his bag of cinnamon toast crust. I just retweeted it. I'm dying over here. I'm choking. I just retweeted it on our uh, Twitter page at ESPN Morning Rush. And he says, this is not a bit. This is not like a put on. He says it's not him trying to be funny. It's just a picture, and they look like somebody ate some scrimps and dropped the tails in his bag of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And the uh, social media page for Cinnamon Toast Crunch is at CTC Squares. says, we're sorry to see what you found. Would you like to report this to our quality team and replace the box? Can you please send us a DM to collect more details? And then somebody replied, why would shrimp even remotely be near the packaging process? At least give the man a year's worth of cinnamon toast shrimp for darn sake. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Maybe not so much for cinnamon toast crunch. But it does pose a pretty interesting question. If indeed this is real, if indeed, why are there is there shrimp anywhere near the packaging process of Cinnamon Toast Crunch? And I love, let's just say for the record, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I don't eat cereal very often, but when I do... One of the boxes I go to, this is no lie, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I also love me some old school Golden Grams. Which actually, now that I think about it, it's almost like Cinnamon Toast Crunch without the cinnamon. So there's a connection there. (laughs) I needed that laugh this morning. I really did. Oh, now okay, now I see a post as we continue to go down this rabbit hole. Again, this is all alleged. Uh, somebody puts online that this isn't General Mills first rodeo with shrimp in their product. That in 2009, General Mills contract manufacturer took a shipment of Adkin Adkin blueberries that was contaminated with shrimp pieces. Apparently, people love their shrimp. Apparently, people in the packing and shipping industry in the uh, <laughs> can't can't wait to get to lunch. Can't wait for the hour lunch break to eat them scrimps. You gotta have them scrimps while you're on the on the line. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway, rush line is open three zero one seven five nine two six two eight. That should be a uh, that should be a question, a poll question. What's the worst thing you've ever found uh, in a food or drink item? Ugh.
I don't even, I, I shudder to think about it, as a matter of fact. So, we talked about this yesterday in length, in depth. And Mountaineer fans, you may want to cover your ears for a little bit. As we all know by now, Syracuse knocked off the Mountaineers in the second round of the tournament. So the 11th seeded Orange, they're moving on. And really, I think, from a completely unbiased, no dog in the fight, you know, point of view, I think the Bayheim story is a cool story. I do. Now, am I the biggest fan of Jim Bayheim? No. And that goes all the way back to the, the Big East days. He can be abrasive. He can come off as a little bit just, you know, meh. But I think the fact that he is coaching his son, Buddy, in his Sweet 16, I think that's I think it's a cool story. How often do we see that happen, right? Now, again, Mountaineer fans, you may not see it that way, and I get it, and I understand it. And as I said yesterday, Buddy Bayheim has probably joined the list of the cursed names in West Virginia history because he blistered them in the second half the other day. But after the game, or yesterday, which is the day after the game, uh, the Bayheims they were busy making the rounds. Jim Bayheim, Daddy Bayheim, was on with uh, Mike Greenberg yesterday. During the game, I just pretend he's a player. I honestly, I try to pretend he's my two guard, and let's see what you know what we can do. We obviously get him more shots now because he's making more. You know, this year he started out shooting 25% from the three the first 15 games. And, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't like him in the lineup, um, especially in Syracuse. But, you know, he stuck with it. I mean, he's the hardest worker I've ever been around, and I've had some really hard workers. And, you know, I'm just proud that he made himself into that. Not that he's necessarily a great player, which I think he's becoming, but I'm just so proud that he's made himself into this because he just wanted it. So that was Jim Beheim talking about son Buddy on a Greeny show yesterday. Buddy was on last night with Freddie and Fitzsimmons talking about the work he's put in to become the player that he is and what it's like playing for his dad felt like I needed to work the hardest. I was never the best athlete, never the best player. I never started on my AAU team, and I just knew if I wanted to be a good player one day, I'd, I'd outwork everyone. And just over the years, I've had great mentors, great people in my corner working with me every day and just continue to grow as a player. And I think my evolution has even surprised me a little bit. I never thought I would be uh, this type of player at this level, and it just shows what hard work can do for you. And having the right people there pushing you every day. Okay, let's get to the, the, that that one clip, though, buddy, because you are on a roll right now, man. 25 in, in your big win against West Virginia, now leading into the Sweet 16 against Houston. But your pops there and also your head coach went from dad, I try to look at buddy as just another player, to coach, <laughs> he ain't that good. Back to dad again, right? <laughs> it's like it's like three different versions of dad coach and then dad again in that clip. So when you heard it, like, as a son and a player, how did you feel listening to that? You know, I get it. Um, I get it. It's definitely um, – it, it even happens with me. Sometimes I think of him as just a coach, and yeah. I'm looking at him like, what play should we run? What should we do? What adjustments should we make? And not even thinking about him as, as my dad. And 
then there are moments where, like after the game, when in a going to three sixteen, where I look at him, I'm like, man, this is this is the dream. This is what I've worked for my whole life. Um, just playing for him means everything to me. But I mean, when he yells at me, he certainly doesn't feel like a dad to me. So uh, <laughs> there, there are definitely times where, where uh, you know, I, I I know he's he's my coach also, and he's gonna coach me like everyone else, which is what I want. But um, there are also times where it's it's the father son moments that you'll remember forever. So those moments I'll never take for granted. And as well as the, as the player coach moments, it's, it's great having uh, not just your dad, but a coach that, that trusts you and, and believes in your abilities, not just because he's your dad, because he's seen it every day through hard work and, and effort. Being an 11 seed, you are at Syracuse. And here you are again as a double digit seed though, in the sweet 16, but a lot of people really didn't think you'd be here. How much of an edge do you guys have right now? Oh, we have a big edge. We've had one since the ACC tournament, I think. No one thought we were a tournament team three, four weeks ago, and they were probably right. We weren't playing good basketball. We were losing. We lost to Duke by 15-20. We lost to Georgia Tech, and we just weren't looking like a good team. And then all of a sudden, we started making shots. We started playing better on defense, playing together making adjustments, and that just gave us an edge. And we realized right after the ACC tournament that we could give anyone a game. And that's what we've done. We've come in with it, with that edge and just came from the jump. And I think we've surprised uh, a lot of teams. And I think we really surprised these last two games, everyone in, in all of basketball. All right, so there you go, the Bayheims. And look, some of you are probably already tired of hearing about them. But we got a long way to go until the Sweet 16, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about them. It's just the way it is. We love to latch on the storylines and, and ride them as far as we can. And that's a great storyline. I'm sorry it is. Dad and son in the Sweet 16 together? Come on. Come on. That's a good story. And look, as somebody who has coached his son in basketball, granted on a much smaller level, it's not easy. It's not easy. Because, and you hear it all the time, right? You, you hear dads or moms who, who coach their kids say this, you know, well, I, I, I treat my, my son or daughter the same way as everybody else. And no, you don't. No, you don't. You, you try to, and you think it might be, but you really don't. Oftentimes, you actually treat them worse. You, you, <laughs> you yell at them a little bit more, a little bit louder. You push them a little bit more because they are your own, uh, your own child or children. It's not easy to navigate that separation between parent and coach and player and child. But so far it's working out for those two, the Bayheims, so far in this tournament, and we'll see what happens. I don't I think their run stops next game. I do. But you never know. You never know. And it's something that we'll definitely keep on paying attention to as we get closer. All right. uh, One final break. And we're back to wrap things up. So stick around. Please and thank you. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Let's check on the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about John Wall? Remember him, Wizards fans? The Houston guard recorded his first triple-double in five years. 
in the Rockets' 117-99 win over Toronto last night. Wall had 19 points, 10 assists, 11 rebounds to help Houston snap its franchise-worst 20-game losing streak, which was tied, by the way, for ninth-worst in NBA history. So John Wall helping the Rockets get off the schneid and snap that 20-game losing streak. Our player who delivered brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and uh, Supply Yard. The record is 28 straight games, by the way, set by the Sixers. It spanned two seasons. I think it was 2014-15 and then 2015-16. Also, uh, before we get out of here, we got to talk about this. Uh, The lawsuits continue to pile up against Deshaun Watson. Six more lawsuits alleging sexual assault and inappropriate conduct were filed yesterday, including one that alleges uh, Watson sexually assaulted a woman this month. Now, the attorney who is representing the women, uh, Tony Busby, to date has filed 13, 13 lawsuits against Watson since last week. And Busby told a Fox station in Houston that he filed a 14th lawsuit, but it's not on the books right now. So things just continue to build and look bad, look bad, allegedly. It's all alleged stuff right now for Deshaun Watson. Mike McCann, who is the uh, legal analyst for Sports Illustrated, was on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night. Clearly the lawyer involved, Tony Busby, has been able to contact and be contacted by a number of accusers. He's a prominent lawyer in Houston, and that plays a role as well. He's able to marshal more attention than probably a typical lawyer would be able to. And of course, if these allegations are true, then there are a lot of victims. If they're true, that's that's the key question. How did this go so rapidly from 1 to 13. Now, I want to be very clear here. I mean, I've got two daughters, and I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, something isn't right, but something doesn't, doesn't just – it doesn't pass a smell test to me, Mike. I mean, so you, you explain to me like I'm a four-year-old. How did we go from 1 to 13 that quickly? Well, Ian, so the lawyer would argue that – Tony Busby would argue that these are victims who feel like they haven't been able to – go to law enforcement, that they worry about retribution if they come forward. Uh, These are all sort of reasons that uh, they would give to say that that they're not in a position that they don't feel empowered. I I think it's fair to ask, and as your question really alludes, it's good to be skeptical of this and that it did go from 1 to 13 very quickly. And also, from what we can tell, there hasn't been a law enforcement investigation into this, at least from, from what we know. It, it's always important to stress that this is a civil lawsuit or 13 civil lawsuits, not criminal charges. There hasn't been a grand jury. There hasn't been a charge. There hasn't been a conviction. But certainly it, it's troubling to see what's been alleged. Michael McCann does a great job. Part of Sports Illustrated as a legal analyst. Hit him on Twitter, McCann Sports Law, joining Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons. He joins us here thanks to the Goodyear Hotline. 
You also got to follow a potential money line when it comes to sponsors and also with him staying with the Houston Texans. I know nobody wants to talk about that, but how much of this could really affect, no matter if he's found innocent or guilty, how much of this could really affect Deshaun Watson, especially if these allegations turn out to be unproven and unfounded? Yeah, there's still damage to his reputation. Just, just the accusation alone, being accused of sexual assault, I don't know if there's ever a complete remedy to that, that this will this will linger with him probably. Now, that doesn't mean his sponsors are going to cut him. I don't think they would take that step unless there's real evidence, unless these, these complaints advance. I think they'll be very cautious in, in that because, let's face it, other athletes are going to be watching. And if his sponsors cut ties with him early and then later on these allegations are unproven or disproved even, I think athletes might be hesitant to sign with those companies. Man, there's still a whole lot to unravel about this, right? Still so much that we don't know. I mean, that's why it's important. You know, we hear stuff like that, and it's good that we have these legal guys to listen to because they obviously didn't, they know a heck of a lot more about it than I do. But, you know, and it's it's hard. And you heard Ian Fitzsimmons very, very cautiously question you know, how do we go from 1 to 13 so quick? Like, all of a sudden, 13. You know, so you might be skeptical and say, well, now we have maybe some women jumping on board like for money grabs, or maybe they were just so scared to come forward before, but now that a few, and we see a lot, a lot of that happen. When one person steps forward, that gives other people the courage to step forward as well. It's a very touchy subject. It's very, like, you don't want to, you know, discount anything. But at the same time, you don't want to, you know, bury Deshaun Watson without knowing everything. And this story is not over by a long shot for sure. But as it stands right now, 13 possible, 14 civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And we're just going to have to wait and see because, again, this is far from done. All right. uh, This show is done. We're finished. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you as always. Enjoy your day. Be safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.